Thursday, the 26th of October, 1 o'clock on the East Coast. Dan Nathan Gaetami, you know it's Thursday. She's waiting in the wings. EY from SoFi, a little butters, because if it's Thursdays, it's butters. I was going to say something else, but nope. I bit my tongue. By the way, as I've mentioned, October, letter V, upside down V for you folks trading commodities. We're going into Novi, and Novi is letter X. And I know what, Dan, X marks the spot, so let's go right to the rundown and look at the things that we're talking about today. I'm not going to say it. Blank earnings erase $200 billion in market cap. That's significant. EY looks at three spooky things in the housing charts. I love that. And Amazon and Intel, earnings preview. I want to start this show by a little mea culpa uh, down Fast Money last night. So Facebook reports. Now, Facebook was down. I think 13 or $14 during the day yesterday-ish. Reported earnings. I thought margins were good. I thought there were a lot of things to like. The stock was up. It closed down $13. It was up 8 bucks or so. And I thought it was okay. What I said was I'm surprised that it's not trading better given the recent sell-off and given the sell-off we had during the day. And that was somewhat troubling, but I still thought the stock was okay. Well, here we are now. So that's my bad. And obviously the conference calls have huge meaning in these things. And when the CFO made comments about the environment, obviously the stock didn't like that all that much. But that's the, you know, I bring that up, Dan, because the pendulum is now swung to this type of environment where what I thought was a good quarter, you're not getting rewarded now. And it's manifesting itself in a swath of different industries. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Guy, what you're talking about. You called it a mea culpa. I mean, let's be frank, okay? You know, micro, or Meta's earnings are coming out. You're in the you're in the chair. You're getting makeup on, okay? We're looking at our fact set machines. We're reading the stuff. The, the, you know what I mean? The, the call hasn't even started. We're asked to comment on them. We do have analysts and strategists who come on the programs who hopefully are steeped in, in you know, um, in, in the expectations and, and what they're looking for. But, you know, it, it's, it's not too different, Guy, than being on the set of you know college game day when they're breaking in and there's a game going on and you're you know i mean like listen you know you're not nostradami all the time um and so um you know one of the things i'll just say this i've been sitting next to you on that desk at fast money for what 13 years i think maybe uh since 2011 let's say so a little less than that and i've, I've never met somebody who's willing on on such a public manner to say hey listen i said this yesterday when i thought this and i was wrong i mean like so a lot of folks that we uh know and perceive in in, in this business they talk out of both sides of their mouth all the time um, and never admit that they're wrong. So I always have really appreciated um, that about you. But on the meta front guy, I mean, listen, you know, based on the quarter they gave before the guidance, it looked pretty good. And, and, and you know what? What the Q&A is what's beautiful about the opportunities during earnings season is you get to hear just the level of conviction or visibility that some of these C-level executives have. And it usually comes out in, in, in these calls, you know, and the like. And so Carter had a great call on this thing. He thought it was a pair of twos, which I think mm -hmm. he was leaning to the downside. Um, it hadn't broken out you know, the way maybe some of these other bubbly sort of stocks had. Um, and here you go. I mean, listen, it probably gets back to that 200-day moving average. It probably has good valuation support there. I'd also mention this, that if we think about what I find so interesting about earnings seasons is getting just some of these tidbits, right? Look at this Arista Networks. 26% of their revenue, this is Anet, comes from uh, – Facebook Meta, um, you know, they said that that CapEx was going to be less than people had expected. 
Look at NVIDIA. You know, they are a big buyer of mm-hmm. NVIDIA chips. NVIDIA is down 4% today, two consecutive days um, in a row here. So this is what I find most earnings, uh, most interesting about earnings. Um, you know, we're asked, would you rather, would you buy it here? Would you sell it here in front of these events? We say it all the time. It's a really tough game. You better have conviction and you better have good risk management skills if you're going to do that. Because if you're wrong, you know, look at the sorts of moves that we're having in the markets right now, guy. It's unforgiving. And I'm going to go off script real quick, and I want to bring Elizabeth in. But if we can pull up a real-time Arista chart, if Jacob or um, Stephen can do it, and go back to the levels that we saw in the chart, sort of the, the static chart that we had. And you'll see, I mean, if you do this for a long enough period of time, you can see this uptrend that even though the stock has sold off significantly, we're still in. So I don't know if they can pull that or not. If they can't, we'll move on. But no, you need longer term than that. Um, we need to go back to the same time frame of that static chart. If you guys can do year. it, there's a one year. But as I talk it, you know, hopefully, and you can so if you look at that chart. So if you draw it from the 2023 low, you can see sort of the points you can draw. You can draw that low, and then the subsequent low in May, and you can start to see what this uptrend potentially looks like. And we're probably at sort of the third point or so from what's been an uptrend. So you have to ask yourself, okay is enough out of the stock. And Carter does this work for us. So and I'm doing it on the fly here. But that's how hopefully over time, you all start to look at charts and understand some of the opportunities that are out there. Anyway, Dan, back to you. Yeah. And, and then let, let's put it together with like the fundamentals If 26% of their uh, sales come from meta and meta guided down, let's call it, you know, CapEx, uh, you know, 5% or something like that. And the stock's trading at about 25 times next year, uh, earnings expected to grow 10%, 10% sales growth. I mean, it's kind of expensive, especially if we're about to go into a slowdown. And if you buy into why the reason uh, Meta is down is the lack of visibility that they're seeing right now. So, you know, I mean, listen, the company doesn't report until next week. And that, listen, if the stock went back and filled in that gap guy from the July earnings when it made new 52-week highs into earnings next week, that might be a good time to kind of take, you know, like, so to me, it's about sentiment. It's about the setup and, and, and all that sort of stuff. So right now, Let's see how much further this has to go. Um, let's bring in Liz, guy, because we we can talk about earnings season. What what's uh, what we've seen so far? There she is. That's EY from SoFi. Hi, Liz. How you doing? Hello. Happy Thursday. Yeah. So we we went a little off script. Sorry to keep you waiting mm-hmm. there. Um, what's your take? We have this Bloomberg article: Big Tech's disappointing earnings raised two hundred billion dollars in value. This is just over the last call it week in the half. What, what is your take so far in earnings season? What are we probably 40 percent through the S and P five hundred? Mm-hmm. So a couple things broadly about earnings season so far. Uh, there are a few sectors that this doesn't necessarily apply to actually I think only two sectors this doesn't apply to but for the most part even companies that are beating still getting punished in the two-day price reaction post earnings so I think we've gone from a situation where the bar was low on earnings and it was pretty easy to jump over it and then stocks got rewarded handsomely for jumping over a very low bar and now we're in this period where the bar has gotten higher because expectations are so high for the fourth quarter and into 2024. The interesting part is a lot of these tech companies, if you look at it, and I did it old school, I have a a mini legal pad next to me, Guy, I know you'll appreciate this, Mm. a mini legal pad, and I wrote down all the tickers, and I, what's the five-day price action, what was the cause? The reality is most of them beat. They beat on the, they beat on earnings, they beat on sales, but 
the conversation afterwards was we missed on whatever revenue, our margins contracted. So there was always a fundamental reason for why the price reacted the way it did. However, the reason that it's reacting is because of what's to come, not necessarily what's happened this quarter. And I think that's the right way to think about it. And when investors are talking about valuations or thinking about how much they would pay for forward earnings, this is how it should be done. You got to think about what's the opportunity in this stock given where it's trading today. And it's sounding like the opportunities are getting a little bit less exciting. Elizabeth, we pulled up a graph from Bloomberg. It speaks to the GDP, 4.9% fastest growth, biggest number since 2021. Let's just put it yep. that way. I mean, yep. This is fascinating. I mean, this to me creates so many cross currents and problems. I mean, a lot of people say this is great news. You know what? I guess it is great news. A lot of people mm -hmm. say, you know what? Keeps the Fed in the game. Absolutely. Flip side of it, market selling off. If you see a market mm -hmm. sell off, it's going to be a flight to quality in the form of the bonds. There's so many things to take away from this. And I will tell you, if you're bullish, you can glean something. And if you're bearish, you can as well. How do you look at this? Well, first of all, I don't think that anybody was really surprised to see this big of a number. We've all been tracking the Atlanta GDP now forecast for a long time. It had actually peaked out, I think, at 5.8%. Uh, and and if, if, funny enough, I think a lot of people were expecting a five handle on this number. So when it came in at 4.9, it was bad news somehow. But 4.9% growth, yes, very strong. I think it's probably the last really strong one that we're going to see. Now, obviously, I have a bearish bias here, but so see it through that lens. But when you think about what the Fed, number one, what the Fed has told us over and over and over again, Jerome Powell has said, we need to see a period of below trend growth in order to solve this inflation problem. Mm -hmm. We haven't had it yet. And even their own forecasts for what 2023 is going to shape up to look like is still above trend trend is 1.8%, maybe 2%. So we need to see a period of below trend growth. This is not achieving that goal. So I still think that there's weakness in the pipeline. There's purposeful weakness in the pipeline to come. The other thing that you have to take away from GDP reports is what's driving it. We all know that 65 to 70% of the economy is driven by consumption. The other piece that is really important to look at, which is something that had a big influence this time, is inventories. That falls into private investment. So basically, it, I'm not going to get into all the math of it. Basically, the idea is that if companies are building up inventories, they're expecting stronger demand, and that's a good thing. If they're depleting inventories, they're expecting weaker demand, and that's a bad thing. So this quarter, we saw a big uh, tailwind from inventories, companies thinking that there's going to be stronger demand. Now, because it was such an outsized influence this time, it could be an outsized correction next time. So take all of this with a grain of salt quarter by quarter. And I think also what we saw in the third quarter is a lot of consumption uh, and indicators for the consumer starting to cool off. So third quarter backward looking, things were still good for the quarter ended September 30. But starting in October, it could be a different story. Yeah. And I think the backward looking part is is the most important part here. And and so if I just look at like what the stock market is telling me, look at MasterCard um, this morning, um, the stock's down five, six percent after its earnings, despite, you know, pretty decent signs of consumer spending. We heard that earlier from Visa. Um, even American Express didn't have the worst things to say. That stock got battered after they reported last week. But here's one guy that I think is, is actually more important, and this would be UPS, which is cutting forecasts. And you could say, well, heading into the holiday season, but 
man, you know, looking at a GDP near 5%, the highest print in over two years, right? And then you look at this chart. Um, and you say to yourself, and we've been talking about the transports for a long time. We've been talking about industrials. We've been talking about a lot of these very cyclical sort of sectors that have acted very poorly in the stock market and what that might mean for the economy and how it flies in the face of some of the data that we're seeing that causes those who are looking at the data through rose-colored glasses calling them bullish. Well, I mean, as economically sensitive as you can get is UPS. And you think about a 52-week low today, but this is a low that we saw back in July of 2020, I believe. And this is a company that you could actually make a somewhat decent case for in terms of valuation, no longer, given that they cut forecasts. I think a lot of people got sort of positive when they basically reached that labor deal, but it's not about labor deals. It's about the end user. It's about demand and things are slowing down. So you can discount one company, you can discount two, but when you hear it over and over again from a wide variety of sectors and industries and companies, you have to start connecting the dots here. And UPS is a really important component of this entire puzzle, Dan. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, again, you know, and Liz, you, we've been talking about this on Market Call and on the tape uh, for months now. And, and you know, like when I think about this and we've highlighted the weakness in the banks, we've highlighted all those other sectors we just talked about, how home builders just joined the party to the downside down more than 20 percent from those recent highs. Right. And, you know, again, you know, Jerome Powell says it, Guy Adami says it, the long and variable lags of, of these, you know, rate hikes. It seems to be at least through the lens of the stock market or most of the sectors in the stock market. They're, like investors are voting with their wallets right now. And yeah. the fact that we have the NASDAQ that's still up 30% on the year versus an S&P that's up 7% versus an equal weight that's down on the year versus a Russell 2000 small cap that's down on the year tells me if I look at Google and Amazon both up 40%, Apple up 30% on the year, um, NVIDIA up 175%, you know, uh, Tesla, you know, I'm going through those, those magnificent whatever, seven, you know what I mean? Like, listen, man, if those all come in another 10%, the S&P is down on the year, right? Like, like easily yeah. down on the year. The NASDAQ's given up a lot of those gains. And if I just pull up this chart of the NDX, okay, you know, I see what you guys see. I see that kind of support that's going to kind of converge a little bit with that 200-day moving average, and maybe that's a good spot for a bounce. But, Liz, we've been talking about the concentration of these names. Those seven stocks make up 40% of the NDX. They make up nearly 30% or so of the S&P 500. How are you thinking about that concentration now, and do they run the risk to the downside, even if a lot of these groups that have been battered okay, over the last few months, if they start showing relative strength, the market could still go down because it is in the hands of these 10 stocks or so. It is. And I think what we're going to start seeing, and we're already seeing it this quarter, is dispersion among these stocks. So they're not going to move in a hom homogenous fashion anymore just because they happen to be in that Magnificent Seven group. There's going to be different causes for it. One thing that you mentioned about the long and variable legs. So Jerome Powell spoke last week. One of the things that he pointed out was that when central banks were not as transparent long and variable legs were true. They were very true for the market's reaction and they were true for the economic reaction. Now, because they're so transparent, the market reacts before they even do anything. The economy still takes a while, but the market reacts much earlier. So I think what we're seeing right now in some of these cyclical sectors, transports, home builders, retail, you're seeing it across the board in a lot of cyclical places, banks in particular, 
are sending the signals that we've all been talking about as where the stresses in the economy and where the weak spots could turn out to be in the economy. And right now, I think we're seeing it more so in the consumer space. The last point I would make about these Magnificent Seven names is, yes, they make up a ton of the index. Yes, they have driven the stock market this year so far. They do not make up as much of the economy. So not everybody in the economy is employed at these seven companies. And when you look at the rest of the market, things like the equal weight index or the small cap index, we're talking about more than 60% of employment probably sitting in those companies, probably even north of that, let's say 80% of employment. I'm making these numbers up, but I think it's a pretty good guess. So maybe 80% of everybody that's employed, Mm -hmm. not employed by the Magnificent Seven. So if those companies are under pressure, you've got problems and you've got a labor market and cost cutting that still needs to happen. Actually, I lied. One more point. So when you look at earnings, the expectation for earnings in 2024, earnings growth is expected to be, I think, still 12%. Butters can confirm me on that. But 12% year over year with revenue growth of only 6% year over year. How's that going to work? The math of that just doesn't work unless companies are going to cut costs considerably to make those earnings numbers. Elizabeth, the next time you and I will speak will be Monday um, for the great On The Tape podcast that drops on Monday. And your favorite podcast or Spotify or Apple, I would imagine. <laughs> but then Tuesday, of course, is Halloween. Boo, by the way. So this will give us an opportunity to go to your note because you found it necessary, obviously, to use a little Halloween theme here. What? Love Halloween movies, by the way, as I will tell you, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis reads the phone book and I will watch. And she obviously is a pro at all these things. But please, let's go to your nightmare on Rate Street. Oh, nightmare on Rate Street. I mean, I, you I got, got you got a kick out of it. I yeah, know you nightmare on Rate. The rest of the titles are really good too. Um, this is mostly about the housing market because the housing market has so far been the last man standing. It's the one thing that has confounded economists. How has it stayed so strong? And it's been the battle cry of bulls in the sense of, Home prices haven't come down. You can still buy. Everything is still okay. Demand is still healthy. Mortgage rates are not scaring people out of the market. Well, now I think they starting. They are starting to scare people out of the market. So this chart is just a reminder. Mortgage rates follow the 10-year treasury. They don't necessarily follow the Fed funds rate or the prime rate. So you can pretty much get a good guess of what mortgage rates will do by looking at the 10-year treasury. The reason I put this out again is because the spread between the 10-year treasury and the 30-year mortgage rate is much wider than it usually is right now. So you've got a sensitivity in consumer borrowing costs where consumers are having to pay considerably more than what the government is having to pay to borrow money, and it's going to put the screws to them uh, in a financial way. We can bring up the next chart. This is the one that really tells the picture. So, well, By the way, hold on. One, but Before we even get into this, mm. it's 1975. Uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show comes out, I believe. So in the few, ne- few next years, like my friends would go to these midnight showings of the Rocky Horror Picture Show and dress up as Tim Curry or Susan Sarandon and Time Warp and all that stuff. I didn't really understand it until many years later. I understand it now. Back to you, Elizabeth. <laughs> okay. So, so the next title, Rocky Housing Picture Show. Obviously, we haven't seen home prices come down yet. So people are scratching their heads. How come home prices haven't come down if mortgage rates are so high? I'm waiting for a better price so I can buy a house. It takes a while. It takes about a year. And if you look at some of the activity that we can measure in the meantime that has softened, it's right here in this chart. 
So look at present sales. That's the blue bar. Obviously, things have come down off of their highs of mid-2022. I think the most interesting one is that salmon-colored bar, which is traffic of prospective buyers. So just measuring the people looking for homes, looking for things to buy in the market has stayed negative this whole time, even with that little positive pop in the summer of this year. So obviously activity is cooling. Eventually it will cool further and show up in the actual data. Some of the other data that we didn't put in here just because I didn't want to inundate it with charts is things like people walking away from commitments in higher fashion than they normally do. So you're committed to buying a house, you walk away from the contract, that has hit uh, a fresh high as well. So there's definitely a cooling, but it does take a while. On the last chart, you can see how long it takes. This is new home supply and home prices. So as obviously with anything, as supply increases, prices come down, but there is a full one year lag between the two of these. So you might hear things like home supply is going up. How come prices haven't come down? Give it another 11 or 12 months and you'll see that reaction. So if this line continues to rise, we're not sure what it'll do. But if this the dark line continues to rise, you should see prices fall uh, further. Yeah, and and I guess, guy, the knock-on effect of all this is just the the housing trade in general, the ITB, the ETF, the tracks, um, you know, the the home builders down nearly twenty percent, the XHB, which has some of the retailers in there too, down sixteen, seventeen percent today. In one fell swoop, Whirlpool is down sixteen percent. Here's a company that lowered its guidance, okay, from a prior range of sixteen to eighteen dollars to the low end of that range of 16 bucks. Now, if you were going to say, you know, down two from the high end to the low end, okay, you can do the math on that, right? Like, um, but 16% on a range change. I mean, like to me, this says a lot about where investors, this is, this stock trades, I think heading into the day at six times earnings or something like that. You know what I mean? So like, I, you know, there's just, just stuff going on here that it leads me to believe that there is no way that those, and I'm just bringing us full circle here, guy, back to what we started talking about here. There's no way that those mag seven stocks don't have a lot more downside to them because once the investors are done puking all this crap, and this is crap, <laughs> then they're going to get to the things that they can sell. Let's pull up that Apple chart guy for a second here. Oh, because, wait, well, what are we talking about? Apple? Yeah. A -A -A that stock doesn't go down, right? Yeah. If they could change this chart, they're frozen there. Um, it's I mean, funny. You know, oh, look at that. It's the yeah. craziest thing. It's going down. It's gone through its 200-day moving average for the no, first because No, I only mentioned it because I've, I heard you never goes down. Yeah. So, yeah. Sorry. Well, it's going down. So if it were to go to that lower it's end funny. of that downtrend, and it has a 150 sort of- 160. I'm telling you what. I'll stop you right there. We've been yeah. saying for a while. I mean, you do the 50% retracement of that low we saw earlier this July. 161 and people are like ah you're bare all the time it's like you know what people i'm not going to curse because i'm in a good mood today because the rangers are playing well and they play tonight and they're playing in edmonton and Connor mcdavid who's the best player in the history of the nhl is not playing with that said it's going to 161 and you can see it as clear as day i mean this down channel is intact and we have traded up along the way but each time we have failed subsequently lower high and that's not a good looking chart and oh they do report and for the life of me I can't imagine what they're going to say. And then throw on top of it what's going on with China. Anyway, back to you.
No, I just I, I just thought we'd we'd kind of put that one <clears throat> in there. And and that's actually just a good... to agitate me. I know. That's good. Yeah, I, know. I like it. Well, we had that ready to go. Um, and I'm glad you're in a good mood. And I'm glad I'm in a great mood Edmonton last night. I was at uh, Madison Square Garden last night. It was opening night for M uh for the Knicks, and they were hosting the yeah. Boston Celtics. Guy, were you watching this game? Because okay, so here you go, Dan yeah. Nathan. This is the National Basketball Association, right? These are the best <laughs> basketball players on the planet, without question. And I will tell you, Jason Tatum is the best player to come out of Duke, yep. bar none. The kid can absolutely play. You saw Kristaps Porzingis. You understand why the Knicks drafted him where they did. He's a freak. With that said, hit your effing foul shots. I think the Knicks missed 13 foul shots last night. You make a couple foul shots, and you win that game. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. Make your free throws. Elizabeth, what did your father tell you all the time? <laughs> You're in yeah, the charity you, you stripe. Can't, you I mean, can't miss come on. free throws. You know what he called it? He called it fundamentals. It's the fundamentals of basketball. It's a free shot. It's free points. It's like when your company gives you a 401k match and you choose not to take it. It's free, it's free money. Free it's money. Free money. Yeah. You free brought points. that up, by the way. And Amanda, don't get mad at me. I didn't bring up the Knicks. I did. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Let's do this. A good segue from Apple when we think about... Um, you know, international revenue exposure. We think about where the dollar is right now. Our main man, John Butters, he's the ser senior earnings insight analyst over there at FactSet. He drops the earnings insight blog. It can be in your, your email box if you want it on Friday mornings, but we get a preview of it on Thursdays. And Liz, I'd love to get your take on this because Butters is talking about S&P 500 companies with more international revenue exposure are reporting lower earnings and revenue growth than S&P. 500 companies with more domestic revenue exposure that makes some sense relative to where we think the dollar is or where it might be going also which might be the sort of thing that weighs on companies guidance or their visibility that they have for earnings companies with more than 50 percent international exposure are reporting a decline of 5.8 percent while companies with more than 50 percent domestic exposure are reporting growth of 4.8 percent all right so talk to us a little bit about this disparity here and do you think that this is a trend that's likely to continue through the balance of the year uh, I do think it's a trend that's likely to continue through the balance of the year, but I also think that it has a lot to do with what's happening around the rest of the world, more so than it does necessarily with the strength or weakness in the dollar. And if and when the Fed finally decides to confirm that they'll have to stop, pause, or even move in the other direction, we're going to see clearly a dollar weakening. But I think what's happening here is you've got Europe in a world of hurt. You've got an Asian consumer that's not buying as much as we expected them to. And you've got still inflation problems around the globe in almost every single region and central banks that still have not gotten a handle on it. So I think we've got a lot of regions, not just the U.S., that are looking at each other like, which one of you is going to go into a recession first? Because we've pulled the rubber band back so tightly, something is, is bound to break. And I think this is more about consumption than anything and well, just sentiment in general. Yeah. And guy, I want to bring it back to Apple for a second. When we think about those earnings next week, you know, what have we heard about luxury? And, um, you know, again, you know, you can tell me that a $1,300 iPhone is not a luxury product that people are buying it on installments and, and, and the like here. But when it comes to international markets, like China, it is a luxury good. Yeah, it is. I mean, you think about what LVMH had, had to say. If you think about in September that Tesla's, um, which is an aspirational EV in China, their sales were down 11%. We already know that some of the data coming out of China about Apple iPhone 15, 
2019 was down, I think, 3 4% from the 14 a year ago. This is going to be a really important report, in my opinion, as we think about U.S. multinationals. It's a weird quarter for them, too, for a myriad of different reasons, given what's going on. But it's an important quarter in terms of where the stock is and the potential visibility that they have. But make no mistake, I mean, this is a company, again, it's been decelerating. Say You can do whatever you want. I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. And in this environment, it's still expensive. And yes, they have a cash balance. I get it. And now at least that balance sheet is worth something. But that's probably been priced in as well. So I'll tell you what. I mean, Apple, to me, has another leg lower. And by the way, Apple works when the market's going higher. The money the flows into ETFs that have Apple. Apple goes up almost by definition because of money flows. When yeah. the market starts to get concerned and you see these money flows stop or, God forbid, passive becomes active, it's never active on the way up. It's active on the way down. So what works for Apple going higher works against them going down. And I don't think we've seen that yet. Well, that, Hey, listen, guy, that is playing out today. There is no headline no. specific to Apple, and it's down 3% on the day, okay? And, and it's at its lows. Um, last, last point from Butters here. He wants to look at revenues. So we were just looking at earnings. For revenues, companies with more than 50% international exposure are reporting a decline of 2%, while companies with more than 50% domestic mm -hmm. exposure are reporting growth of 3.5%. And now, this is not going to surprise you, Guy Adami. At the company level, Chevron, Exxon, and Pfizer are the top drivers of the earnings and revenue declines for companies with more international exposure. Speak to that a little bit. Well, I mean, it's pretty interesting. I mean, if you think about what – well, let's just forget about Pfizer for a second and just look at Exxon and Chevron. This makes a lot of sense. So their international exposure works for them sometimes. Well, it might not work for them so much now. But then you flip the coin and say, okay, why are they making these acquisitions in an environment where things are seemingly decelerating. So I look at those two specifically and say, okay, I understand the weakness, but they also see something on a corporate level and they have the visibility to say, you know what, we're going to spend in the case of Chevron uh, $50 billion or $60 billion-ish. Uh, and in case of Exxon, another $51 billion or so to buy Hess because we see the visibility, we see what's going on in the environment. So Listen, you can have a couple quarters of disappointing numbers based on what Butters puts out, yep. but don't run too far from the energy stocks here. I think there's something a brew over the next couple months into next year. All right, Liz, just if you want to wrap this up a little bit, just talk about the dollar. What a strong dollar for U.S. multinationals when they're selling overseas. Like, like this is just, it's a headwind, right? So they're taking yep. in less of the foreign currency, right, for that. So um, how are you thinking about the dollar? And, and again, I know what you just said about these other locales and, and the sort of difficult mm -hmm. environments their economies are. What mm -hmm. happens to the U.S. dollar, in your opinion, if Paul Tudor Jones, who a few weeks ago said that he thinks that the U.S. is going to be in a recession at some point in Q1, what happens to the U.S. dollar? Love Paul Tudor Jones, by the way. Um, first of all, okay, when you, when you think about what's happening with multinationals, they're selling goods, obviously, internationally in a different currency. They have to translate it back to the dollar. They lose some revenue because of that translation effect. If you think about commodities, most of them are denominated in dollars. It makes them more expensive as the dollar rises. As we've seen the 10-year go up astronomically over the last couple months, obviously, strength is putting a little bit of a headwind on some of this stuff. I think there's two things that would happen. It's not it's not just a straight line if the US is in a recession in Q1 because the first thing that has to happen 
is we would confirm that there's too much economic weakness, something that makes us uncomfortable. We'd probably get a statement from the Fed. We've got one next Wednesday. We've got another one, I believe, on December 13th. We'd get a statement from the Fed or something that makes us believe that the Fed will either stop or have to cut rates sooner than the market expects. On that news, I think the dollar weakens. Mm -hmm. But if then we start to get news that the rest of the globe is falling into recession and everybody stinks, then you start to see a fear trade come back into the dollar and it probably stabilizes some of that weakness. So I don't know what the levels are that all of that would happen, but I do think that a weakening dollar is going to happen sooner rather than later, because if everything else comes true, and this is, I'm, I'm always so adamant about this, think the entire theory through. If the other things that we worry about come true, you're going to hear the Fed start talking about weakness, satisfying them, weakness getting to that below trend level, and people will stop expecting any more hikes. The dollar probably weakens on that. So I think that does happen first. Um, but then later on, if there's global fear, the dollar ends up being part of the fear trade. Hey, Dan, right. you ever watch like the those news stations, like breaking news, like everything is breaking news, breaking news, breaking yeah. news, breaking news. I have breaking news. You ready? Yeah. Are you curious? Yeah. Jacob, throw up an NVIDIA chart because oh look at what happened. We changed big figures during our show. It is now has a three handle in front of it. Oh. Just putting it out there. And I will tell you, Dan Nathan, I don't think you were on that night, but I had to endure fast money the evening that NVIDIA reported and the stock was trading $516 in the after hours and listen to people wax poetic on how they had trillions and trillions trillions and trillions of dollars of addressable market that they, were just, that they were just scratching the surface with. Yeah, And I bit well, my tongue and I said, okay, but, and now here we are some 20-ish percent later, and I don't even think it started yet. Back to you. No, I, I think 350 is probably in the cards in the not-so-distant future. Um, Listen, Liz Young, we really appreciate you being where uh, with us. You guys know where to follow her on the Twitter, at Liz Young Strat. You know where to find her uh, blog that she writes every week. This one was a doozy, Liz. Um, we really uh, appreciate that. So thank you for being here. Oh, there it is. Look at that. At SoFi.com backslash blog. That's where you can find hers. Thanks a lot, Liz. We will see you on Monday on the tape. Also, for our main man, Butters, you want to get that earnings inside blog? You want to get that in your email box? Guy and I do. Liz does too. That's where you find it. Insight.factset.com slash subscribe. All right. Thanks to Liz. Guys, before we get out of here, let's take a look uh, at a couple earnings tonight after the close. And, and first of all, Amazon and, and, and Intel. And so Interestingly to me, I think the fever has broken in, in the mag seven here. Okay. And so whatever Amazon prints tonight, now, yeah, the stock's down a lot. It's down a lot in sympathy over just the last couple of days with the Google and, and now the meta and, and such here. It's approaching that 200 day moving average. It's approaching that breakout level from May, uh, June ish or something like that. You see the implied move seven and a half percent in either direction for a trillion plus market cap company. Um, that's significant sort of market cap here. Thoughts on Amazon. It's a tough one. And, and, and again, this is not one that you or I are trading into the print. You're basically flipping a coin. And if you did it with options, you know, like, you know, you're risking basically nearly 4% in a trading day. You know what I mean? To make an at the money to find risk bet. Um, not a great risk reward, in my opinion, unless you have a lot of conviction. 
would not surprise me either way. When we come in, they they announce that margins improved because they can flip that switch, and the stock closes at one seventeen, and in the after hours, it's one thirty one and a half, and everybody's saying, "Look at Amazon; it's going to bail out the Nasdaq. Everything is great." It would not surprise me either to hear them talk about a spend slowdown in AWS mm-hmm. and the stock trading below, sort of you know between one hundred five and a hundred. That wouldn't surprise me either. So people say, "Well, that's worthless commentary." Yes and no, because in the former, I think if it were to get to those levels, 131, I think, you know what you say, check change, get out of it or look to put on a bearish position. And conversely, if we flush out down to those levels, we might get down to enough of a support level. You can start to build a long position. So to answer your question, you do nothing here. You let the stock be your guide in terms of a beat to the upside and then pull the trigger in terms of a bearish play or vice versa if they were to miss. That's how I look at it here. And quite frankly, it's that binary because that's what Amazon has done and can continue to do. Well, I, I guess the point is, I, I don't think that's useless commentary. I say it again and again on Market Call, guy. We talk about it all the time. I mean, earnings season is just a great opportunity to kind of reinforce some themes that you're invested in, things that you believe in. If you're just here to trade it into the last hour of the day for the print, I mean, you could just pull up your DraftKings account and, and there's a game, you know, there's a Thursday night football game tonight that you might have more fun doing with. You know what I mean? So, like, that's the only thing you know i'd say about that this stock has been very volatile in and around earnings i think over the last two years it's probably averaged 10 percent in either direction or, or so so if that's the sort of risk you want to take into an event that you just don't have a lot of clarity on you know have at it i, I would say but if you think about like okay so it's down in sympathy uh with the alphabet uh it's down with the meta and that sort of thing if you think that it's probably sold off enough it's at a support level then then it's probably not a bad level to take a shot for a one-day trade but i don't think it's the sort of thing especially when you consider how microsoft traded yesterday guy up three three and a half percent most of the day despite the nasdaq getting destroyed in the s p you know this is not going to be a stock that turns the tide of the broad market in my opinion no matter what it does and it would only reinforce negativity to the downside at a time where we just looked at that ndx it's at a really really crucial level right mm-hmm. and so if we get through amazon and it's uninspiring quarter and guidance let's just say right and then we get through we're going to talk about intel in a second then apple really does hold the key you know next week in my opinion you know what i mean to the fate of the nasdaq for well, the year. to your point i mean the die i think has been cast so i don't think any one stock now is going to save what i think we're yeah. in the midst of so it might it might slow it down um but it's not going to save it i don't think yeah all right hey let, let's look at intel really quickly here because again this is not nvidia and it's not even amd when you think about it from a product standpoint um you look at the chart here um you know it's right basically at the midpoint of the one-year range we know it's a value relative to many of its peers for a reason they don't have these um high-end graphics chips right that everybody wants to train these large language models to put in the supercomputers in the data centers that are doing all the generative ai stuff um but it's at a level here guy it's at a 200 day moving average the stock actually has moved six or seven percent a quarter that's about the average move the or the implied move um for this earnings it's a cheap stock 
relative to its peers. What we just said, but we're not buying stocks because they're cheap in a market like this, right? If they don't have the product and they don't have the vision for where they're going to be in this sort of cycle, to me, it doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. So thoughts here on Intel into the print. And I'm sorry if we're not being as definitive as you guys want here, but just look around. It just seems to be there's a lot more pain to the downside, even when results are not as bad as one thinks. If you listen, I mean, data center has been a problem for a few companies now, and it's been his well, historic. It's been a problem for Intel for the last couple of years. So I'm hard pressed to believe they're going to pull some sort of rabbit out of their hat. But if they do, I think the best you're going to see the stock is maybe up to 35 or so. Then it fades again. The, people will point to Intel for two reasons. Valuation, there's a reason it's cheap, one. And potentially sort of a homeland security play, believe it or not. If they, again, they're building all these um, plants in the United States. And if we can somehow if Intel starts to take the leadership role in chips here in the States, that's obviously a feather in the cap. Problem with that is these places take years to build. So we're not on the precipice of anything. I'm just, it's just nothing all that compelling about Intel here to me at all. Well, I'll just say this, you know, when I'm looking at the gross margins, okay, in 2018 and 19, they went from 63 to 60%. Now they're expected to be 41.5% um, this year and then reaccelerate to 46. So if you think about all the ways that you have to screw up when you have a 60% or 63% gross margin and the market share that they had and some of the biggest, you know, tech trends that, that existed to go down 20 points like that. I mean, like that is insane, right? So there is an opportunity if the company can get on the right side of some of these kind of um, product cycles and they can get more efficient and that sort of thing. But again, let's wait, wait and see what they have to say. So um, I think we're just at a point in the earnings cycle where, you know, unless you have a lot of conviction and you have good risk management and you have some of the house's money to play with, it just doesn't make a sense on a binary level. Because I'll just say this lastly, guy, and then we can get out of here. To your point about Meta, when you were looking at it last night before the conference call, the Q&A and this, that, you know, during the Alphabet call, um, that didn't seem so bad. And I read the transcript the next day. I was shocked that it was down, you know, nine and a half percent yesterday. It's down another nearly three percent today. But that on evaluation, on a product mix, on a whole host of other things, like if that gets towards like, you know, between 120 and 110, I think you start dollar cost averaging in that. I mean, I really, really do, because I think that that is going to be one of the biggest beneficiaries over the next couple of years of this, you know, integration of, of uh, a lot of this generative AI stuff in and around their product mix. They have what over seven properties with like a billion users or so they're going to figure out how to monetize that tech guy. It's an interesting, you know, we're, we've reached the stage where, it's good is not good enough and yeah. people are not being rewarded for in line where they were before and the bond market you know again and we have to get out of here but dollar yen closing above 150 yesterday 10-year jgbs at 86 basis points i mean people say why are we focused on it well now i think people understand why we've been so focused on it there's just a lot of strange things happening out there dan well you know what guy it's been a pleasure being aside uh, alongside you for this trip in 2023. There was a time where I think you, Danny Moses, and myself, we were on Fast Money. It was July 18th. Um, and the illustrious Melissa Lee asked us, she goes, you know, you guys are really bearish. You know what I mean? And she said, are you just kind of in a bit of an echo chamber? And I love, we love the question. It was an amazing question, right? Because if people listen to us on Market Call, they would listen to us on On the Tape, they listen to us on, on Fast Money. We were pointing out 
a lot of the stuff that didn't make sense to us, at least is, is it related to what the S&P and the NASDAQ were saying? We were talking about the equal weight. We were talking about the Russell. You were talking where you thought yields were going. You were talking about a reacceleration in inflation. Think about that. The, all of that together, you were talking about geopolitical. You were talking about the dysfunction in Washington. All of that is the reason why the S&P is in correction mode right now. And many sectors are far worse than that. Nobody wants to hear bad news is what it comes down to. And you'll always be criticized if you try to be the person that pisses on everybody's parade. But the reality is I don't have pom-poms. There's a reason why the teams that I root for don't have cheerleaders because I don't particularly like them. And I'll never be one. So back to you on that front. All right. Well, I enjoyed the Knicks City dancers last night. Yeah, um, that's bullshit. Right. I mean, I that's, know, that's I embarrassing. Know. All right. Well, let's say something. That's embarrassing. Right. Old Knicks fans, you know, it's just it's embarrassing. If there's a timeout, sit there and talk to the guy or gal next to you or try to sort of glean what the coach is saying or just sit there and shut the F up. Do you need to be constantly stimulated? No is the answer. I don't need it. So get rid of the Nick City dancers and yep. be like the rest of the New York teams. X the Mets with their bullshit Mr. and Mrs. Met and the <laughs> apple that goes up and down and the, and, the, and the Queens are flushing bridge. I mean, there's a reason why the Mets are second city. I woke up in such a good mood. Yankees don't have mascots. The Giants don't have a mascot. The Rangers don't have a mascot because people get it. All right. So, guy, this is the 30th, 30-year Sorry. anniversary of the of the Stanley of the uh New York Rangers uh 1994 Stanley yeah, 30 Cup. 30 years is amazing. I can't even believe it's right. gonna be 30 years. All right, this is gonna be the year. All right. Well, thank well, I don't you. Know if, I don't, no, 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 don't say that. Do not touch the money. I love this team. They go four lines deep. I think we finally figured out the lines. I think everybody's contributing. You see Alexei Lafreniere. You're starting to see glimpses of what he should be as the number one pick in the draft. Remember, he's still only 22 years old. It's a young team, brought in some leadership. I love the fact that Wheeler came here on a small contract. A lot of veteran leadership here as a captain in Winnipeg for years. lot to like. lot to like. You brought it up, not me. All right, man. Well, that was fun. Thanks to EY from SoFi. That would be Liz Young. She's the head market strategist at SoFi. And of course, Guy, if it's Thursday and it's market call, it's what? It's Butters, bitch. All right. We got John Butters, senior earnings insight analyst over there at FactSet. Thanks to our friends at FactSet. You see all those tricked out charts and analytics that we use. They all come from FactSet. Um, so, Guy, take us out here, man. Thanks a lot. This has been a fun. lot of fun. Audience, obviously, thank you. We're going to try to be, um, can try to continue to sort of steer this ship. It's getting tricky out there, but we'll do our best. And go to your favorite pod. Our podcast tomorrow is going to be Fire Emoji. It drops on Friday. We have uh, Miss Rebecca Patterson, if I'm not oh, yeah. mistaken. And she's, yes, do. she's very good. So, check that out. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye.